and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Welcome to IOM3 Investigates. Uh, I'm Ian Bobrick. I'm the Director of Membership and Professional Standards at IOM3. And today we will be looking at lithium in the UK. It's my very great pleasure to introduce to you uh, two friends and colleagues, uh, Jeremy Rastel, uh, founder and CEO of Cornish Lithium, and Rima Steltman, who is the research leader at the Centre for Russian and Central Eurasian Mineral Studies at the Natural History Museum. Gentlemen, I think before we get into this topic, um, would you like to give me some information about your backgrounds? Jeremy. Thanks, Ian. Um, yeah, my background is... Uh... I'm a mining engineer by training. I'm very proud to have attended uh, the Campbell School of Mines in Cornwall, hence the, the connection with Cornwall. Um, and then I went off and, and worked in the mining industry for a few years before commencing a career in the city of London as an investment banker, covering the mining sector, um, financing mines all over the world. And, and then when I was uh, doing that, I became very well aware of the growing importance of battery raw materials in the electric car scene, which is obviously going to become a, a dominant subject for all of us going forwards. And, and that's where I started uh, Cornish Lithium from. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, and Rima? I started looking into lithium bearing granites and pegmatites about 35 years ago when I was a research student at the Freiberg Mining Academy and in the Erzgebirge, where is now one of the largest hard rock uh, lithium deposits is under development in Walzinowitz, in uh, Saxony, Germany, and in Bohemia, Czech Republic. Um, and at that time, I became yeah, interested uh, in lithium, mica, mineralogy, and this led consequently into my PhD research and into a number of international projects, which led me to Canada, province of Ontario, lithium pegmatites. I had the great pleasure to be led by Peter Czerny, who is a professor of lithium pegmatology uh, to the Tanko pegmatite in 1996. It was uh, very exciting and inspiring. And I had the opportunity in the late 1990s to study lithium fluorine granites across Eurasia in Transbaikalia uh, and in the Altai where the famous Alacha intrusion, a whole intrusion of a spodumene granite, but in a remote area, high altitude, so very challenging infrastructure. And of course, uh, already 1992 was my first very exciting visit to Cornwall. And that probably led to my uh, wish uh, once to join a famous institution like the Natural History Museum in London which I joined in 1999. And from that time, I studied granites, mineral deposits in Cornwall. 
and a number of publications on lithium granites uh, resulted from this, but also I continued research on lithium pegmatites. I was a work package leader of the FAME project, EU Horizon 2020, um, about flexible and mobile processing technologies and the lithium deposits in Portugal, Gonzalo, Lepidolite, pegmatite, unfortunately only used for ornamental stone and ceramics, not for lithium batteries yet. Um, then Zinnowetz in Czech Republic Erzgebirge, lithium, lepidolite, zinwaldite, granite, and the spodumane granites, spodumane pegmatites in Finland, Kalibor. These were the three main sites, and in follow-up research, we engaged in the lithium for UK project jointly with Cornish Lithium, Jeremy as a lead partner, and Waddle Armstrong International Lithium for UK project, which uh, took exciting uh, steps forward. Uh, and maybe we can uh, discuss this in the course of this uh, discussion. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you, Ram. I hope we can indeed. Um, lithium, of course, very much in the spotlight. Alkaline metal, of course, of the hour. Um, Jeremy, can I ask, um, why is it important for the UK to investigate a possible domestic lithium supply? Well, Ian, that's really become into sharp focus for the UK government. Since Brexit uh, finally worked its way through and uh, we emerged in this year, 2021, it's become very apparent that the rules of origin, which nobody had really heard of before, but now really have heard of, which dictate that a certain amount of any electric vehicle um, or any vehicle at all has to be sourced from domestic sources, uh, is going to have a profound impact on the UK automotive sector. And the UK automotive sector indirectly and directly employs about 800,000 people. It's an extremely important area of the UK economy. If we're going to continue to build vehicles and then to export them and avoid tariffs, we're going to have to source a large amount of those vehicles from the UK. Um, and, and a lot of, so about 50% of a vehicle is the battery pack and about 30% of the battery pack is the raw material that goes into it. So lithium, nickel, uh, graphite, etc. So the more we can source from the UK itself, the more we can obey the rules of origin. So it is absolutely vital that we now explore the opportunity to produce lithium domestically. And before the UK, the UK really had the attitude of, well, we don't really care where these metals come from. Most of them we've never heard of before. Um, we're happy to import them and we're happy to import somebody else's pollution problems with them um, and, and high carbon credits. So high carbon um, uh, loading. So, so really that has also changed. We can't just import material that we don't know where it's come from. We don't know what the carbon footprint is. We have to know what that is. We have to know that, that we're obeying the rules of origin. So it's now absolutely critical that we do investigate uh, that lithium supply here. And if we hadn't got any lithium bearing geology, we'd be in big trouble. But we actually do have lithium bearing geology as Reimar's already covered. Um, in Cornwall, there is a very large um, lithium enriched granite, one of only five potentially in, in the world of that sort of size. And, and therefore it is imperative that we in Britain do start to investigate 
this possible source of supply. And that's exactly what my company Cornish Lithium is doing. That's interesting. Thank you, Jeremy. Ranmar, if I can ask you, we, we've been talking here about the, the sources of lithium enriched granite. Where else in the UK can we, can we actually find this? Is it, is it that readily available? Yeah, so there are two aspects. What are the sample types or the field types? Where can we expect and find lithium in natural rocks or in the natural environment? And secondly, uh, where are the locations in the UK? Um, most all over the world, uh, lithium is resourced from pegmatites. And there are the famous pegmatites, uh, green bushes uh, in Australia, or Bikita in uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Tanko in Canada. We uh, have some of those pegmatites in uh, Scotland and our project Lithium for UK um, visited and examined uh, these Scottish pegmatites. And there are some pegmatitic dikes uh, and occurrences also in southwest England, like the Melden uh, applied, which is part of a pegmatitic melt formation. The second type are chrysons, granite-related chrysons. It means alteration products of highly evolved granites. And Jeremy already mentioned uh, the St. Austell granite in its cupular parts. It's chrysonized and has highly evolved uh, lithium mica some labitolite, dominantly polylithionite or zinvaldite, but also a second or third mica variety, which is lithium fengite and lithium muscovite. So then we have minor intrusions, including applites and elvens. We have in Southwest England, many, many granite intrusions, uh, which are discriminated into granite one, two, three, four, and five, whereas the granite five is the most prospective one, most highly evolved, highest lithium concentrations. What we need to consider also is a granite waste from hundreds of years of China clay mining. There are vast waste tailings with uh, accumulation of lithium mica. And this is, of course, already processed. We don't have to crush these products or these tailings, these rocks. And uh, the lithium mica can be easily accessed. Furthermore, there are volcanic, volcanoclastics, metavolcanics, lamprophiles, metabasalts, metasediments. We have lithium enrichment in red beds and in uh, evaporites and in mangan oxides. Last but not least, the focus of Cornish lithium here are geothermal waters. Yeah. And Jeremy probably will uh, explain this further. So it's the most important uh, lithium accumulations uh, were identified in Southwest England. Interestingly, Cornwall is the one thing. The Melden applied, however, which has the highest concentrations, is located in Devon. In Cornwall, the focus is the St. Orsel granite with the Trelawar site, uh, which is developed by Cornish Lithium, and the Treganin Godolphin granite. Also around Clickerhead, we have very high lithium concentrations in the granites. In um, northern England, we have the Verdale granite, which is used for or developed for geothermal waters, lithium recovery from geothermal waters. 
And so this is uh, beside Cornish lithium's efforts uh, in Cornwall, the second site where geothermal models are the focus. And we have interesting locations uh, in Scotland around Glenbuchat and uh, also in Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, are occurrences of lithium. But from the tonnage and grade, from the industrial perspectivity, our research concludes that Southwest England uh, is most important for this um, approach for the development of a domestic uh, lithium uh, resource. Thank you, Ryan. That sounds very interesting. Jeremy, I mean, one of the things that we often talk about in the industry is resource nationalism, but it seems that we are um, fairly well, I think, set, as it were, to counter any form of resource nationalism in terms of lithium. Will we have enough supply uh, to meet the demand that's predicted, would you say? Are we well placed for that? The Faraday Institute, which is the government body looking at uh, electric vehicles, etc., recently put out a paper writing about the forecast demand for lithium um, by 2035. They are forecasting that we would need between 55 and 60,000 tonnes per annum of lithium carbonate equivalent. Obviously, we've now brought the date for electric vehicle sales forward five years. So let's say it's now 2030 that we're going to need 55 to 60,000 tonnes of lithium per year. And also that the electric vehicle revolution is speeding up. So let's say it's at least 55,000 tonnes. Do we have enough lithium at the moment to, to fulfill that? Absolutely not. But is there the potential to fulfill that, uh, to supply that amount? Uh, yes, I believe there is. Um, but bear in mind that the total world production of lithium carbonate at the moment is about 340,000 tonnes of lithium carbonate equivalent right now. So we're looking for in just the UK, you know, a fifth to a sixth of the entire global supply so it's a huge task um but do we think there's enough geological endowment in in, in cornwall to secure that I, I think um very cautiously i'd say yes there probably is our research indicates that from the hard rock side uh we could supply a significant portion of that and from the brine side we are getting very very good encouragement that uh, there would be enough um, over several wells, I mean, not just one, you know, we, this is very similar to um, sucking up water like an oil and gas well, uh, treating it, but then putting it bounce, back down on the ground. It's far more environmentally friendly, obviously, than an oil and gas well. But um, we think that met several of these wells, and you could see uh, total UK supply being met. But it, it, it is early days. Um, but, what, you know, in many ways, it's to say, let's counter the challenge so 55 to 60,000 tons with the opportunity and the opportunity is is very high for the UK and the imperative for the UK is very high so I think as a highly inventive and innovative nation we can rise to the challenge but we've just got to rediscover our geology we've got to rediscover our our former love affair with mineral extraction and I try to avoid the word mining because what we're talking about is not mining in the old traditional sense it's really mineral extraction and that's a, that's going to be such an exciting avenue going forward for people who are in IOM3 and, and the metallurgical industry mining industry to, to rise to that challenge of how do we 
supply are the vital ingredient for the transition to renewable energy. How do we do that? Well, you've got to get to grips with our geology and the, and the LI4UK project was very much about that, looking around the UK, as Ramaz already said, where could it come from? And it's highlighted it could might best come from the southwest of England and particularly Cornwall. And then really putting our mining engineers hats on together with our metallurgical expertise, together with our chemistry expertise, and combining that to put the brains of Britain back together and, and get going on this challenge. It's, it's hugely exciting in my view. Can I just continue with you uh, on that subject, Jeremy? Is there enough government support for this? Is government, is the UK government actually giving the industry the support it needs to actually bring this revolution to, to reality to actually happen? That's a great and difficult question to answer. Um, I would say the amount of government support is highly encouraging. The government is getting to grips with this topic and in their defence, a year ago, you'd have got the answer, we don't need to care about this because it's, we just import whatever we need. Given that the government's now realised the true scale of the problem, um, there is government support forthcoming. We've won a, a grant from the UK government for the pilot plant, building the, the lithium uh, extraction pilot plant from geothermal waters in Cornwall. That was a, that's a four million pound project. I'm not at liberty to say how much the government's putting into that, but it's just that very substantial. The LI4 UK project was a good example of government support and recognition of this issue. Um, I know for a fact that the government is very, very focused on this point. And we saw that in the Chancellor's budget that they're really trying to support innovation, support levelling up. And obviously Cornwall is, a, is an area that could do with more support. So I, I would imagine that there is more government support uh, for it will be forthcoming. Uh, and, and, and I cannot praise the government enough for the engagement they're giving to uh, us, to the Natural History Museum, and anyone who's interested in this space is really getting a lot of attention. Good, good. Reimar, um, would you like to comment further on that? Obviously, um, from your perspective, you're seeing a, um, the very broad UK picture here. What's your uh, impression of government support? The government has many diverse activities through KTN, UK Research Innovate, Faraday Battery Challenge. We just won uh, a NERC grant from the Natural Environmental Research Council, the project Lift Lithium for Technology, and our SME partners, Cornish Lithium, Waddell Armstrong, and many others are accompanying uh, this project from the industry side, so with in-kind contributions. And this NERC project will further study uh, lithium formation, element cycling, and also will come up with exploration guidance and understand, uh, try to understand how the geometallurgy uh, can be uh, made more efficient. Uh, I just would like to express when we look uh, in Cornwall, uh, say in the Trelaw uh, pit, uh, where Cornish lithium is developing their hard rock lithium um, stream, if we take a granite block of seven centimeter length, seven centimeter high, seven centimeter depth, this block of granite or plaster stone practically results in one little lithium ion battery yeah which you can put in your in your mobile phone or in some device so 
the amount or the volume of lithium uh, is enormous. And the head crate that was fitted in our pilot plant um, in the lithium for UK project was 0.22% lithium Li2O, 0.228%. From this was produced a mica concentrate, which was less than 4%, 4 weight percent, less than 4 weight percent Li2O. And finally, this resulted in a lithium carbonate um, close to the 99% uh, uh, battery grade, which is required for the definition of battery grade. 99.x we need for battery grade lithium, but the industry actually, the uh, battery producers need 99.9999 for decimals for battery quality. And there is actually the challenge. Of course, we need exploration, we need uh, development of lithium recovery, but the actual challenge is a conversion to get a product which is stable from the composition, which has no impurities, so the cleaning process. This is actually the technological challenge for the processing. And many competitors struggle on the challenge, uh, we all know uh, in Finland, there are the huge pegmatite fields which are developed by Calibre. On the website, we can find they plan to go in production 2017, now it's 2021, and they still struggle with impurities in the spotumane of cookieite, which is uh, rubidium cesium rich uh, impurity contamination in the spotumane. And this impurities affect the efficiency and efficiency of the battery product. That's why uh, we need more skills, new technologies, more research at the front edge. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the whole hype about lithium batteries and electric vehicles focused in the last two, three, four years with millions or hundreds of millions of pounds on batteries, new batteries, new technologies, and so on, and the whole front end entrance uh, of supply of clean lithium product uh, was a little bit neglected. And I would wish that the government is recognizing this and is supporting us. First thing is we need in Southwest England, ideally, uh, bespoke, modern, innovative, um, pilot plant or a facility with modern technique, which can focus on lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, graphite, and all the other elements to uh, um, with quality assurance, quality control, all the many users or providers who develop uh, lithium projects. The second thing is we need skills uh, from our mining universities especially Campbell School of Mines, but also uh, the other providers of skilled processing engineers and mining engineers in the UK who can engage. Thank you, Ryan. It's a very important point. And uh, one I'd like to pick up with Jeremy, this issue of skills, obviously, um, I'm very pleased to hear you've, you're, you're getting the finance in place. Um, obviously, the geological results are very positive, which is good news. Um, skills, obviously, this is a, a new industry. Although we do 
we of course need some of the traditional skills, but um, how are you able to source these skills? Is, is this possible? What, what are you doing to, uh, to, to source this? Well, Ian, it, it's, um, it's, it's a vital question. We haven't had a problem sourcing skills yet. And so we've predominantly hired a lot of geologists, most of them are young, absolutely fantastic people. Um, we have, to Rima's point, just advertised for a hydrometallurgist. Now, everyone said, what do you want a hydrometallurgist for? Well, we need a hydrometallurgist because it's complex chemistry we're looking at. Once you get this, these materials out of the ground, it, it's easy to crush grind and, and float them and magset them. But when you get them into, to get the, the mica dissolved in acid and then, then get the lithium out, that is detailed chemistry. And, and I think this is where we might come up against problems. Although I must say that we're very pleased to find out completely out of the blue that one major university is actually studying this already, uh, trying to teach its students the importance of lithium uh, metal extraction and other battery metals. Because really, you know, people are beginning to wake up and say, oh, actually, actually we, these, without these metals, we have not got a renewable future. Previously, we've dug stuff up like oil and gas, burnt it. And, and it's no longer the same, you know, it goes into CO2 and goes into the atmosphere. Lithium is just something we borrow from the ground um, and we uh, eventually it'll go back into the ground. It's not destroyed uh, during our process. And it's people like detailed metallurgical chemists who we want. And that is a skill set that we will have to develop uh, in the UK if we want to be part of this battery revolution. So I, I think, you know, so far so good. And the industry is rising to that challenge. But as I said, only two years ago, a year ago, we didn't even need to think about this. We've just suddenly been thrust into this. I mean, it's interesting. Last week, um, both the US and the EU published a list of uh, papers on the criticality of these raw materials and how important they are. And the US has suddenly woken up and said, oh, we can't rely on China anymore for the raw materials. And that arms race which is what it is, it's going to affect all of us. And it's responsible. I think it's really imperative that institutions like the IM3 encourage government to give more support, give more financing, and make students recognise, young students recognise how exciting a career, actually geoscience, hydrometallurgy, extractive metallurgy uh, really is. It's not a dirty industry it's a vital industry to the transformation to renewable energy so yeah look I, i'm i'm excited and i think i think britain will rise to the challenge yeah yeah and if i could continue on there of course uh, in recent months the Cambon school of mine has made certain announcements about its own teaching portfolio will the fact that Cambon school of mines is going to take a break from teaching mining engineering will that actually any impact on your business at all it, it undoubtedly will and i am very very disappointed with that move. I have to say I sympathise partly because if there's no students, you can't teach a course. Simple as that. No matter how nostalgic you might get about the fact that Campbell School of Mines has been going since 1880s, if there are no students, you can't have a course. So I think it's, that's why I said it's incumbent on government and teaching bodies to enthuse young people about how exciting it is to get stuff out of the ground in a responsible manner and, and produce materials that can go into transforming our lives. And I have absolutely no doubt that once we do that, young students will be clamoring 
to go into what I think is mineral extraction. You know, if you term it mining, there's still an association of dirty, dangerous, blah, blah, blah. But mineral extraction is a career that surely people would want to go into. And then the Kemborn School of Mines course will start up again. I have no doubt about that. We have to fix the problem before we can find the solution. No, indeed. Rima, um, from your perspective, obviously we're talking about um, the skills associated with, with lithium extraction and, and lithium. Do you see any anything else that this country needs to be doing to uh, ensure that projects like Cornish Lithium and perhaps other projects around the country can thrive? That's a very interesting question. Um, if we look on the map of Cornwall, and just last week was published a compilation on LinkedIn with all the mining projects and all the junior companies who are developing about 10 different mine sites, uh, I would wish that these largely or partially competing companies somehow come together under, uh, yeah, under the Cornish Mining Authority and uh, work together because a lot of potential, a lot of resources are used for parallel developments. And one of the aspects I would like to see is a centralized provider uh, for assaying for battery uh, element, pilot plant testing, tests and industrial uh, test also and because the resources government resources are limited not everybody can receive the same level of support uh, again and again in parallel approaches so this is a little bit a dilemma where i see potential to help from the government to coordinate the most efficient projects to drive them forward and I think some government injection would do good. And we're only speaking about five or 10 million pounds to, to set up modern facility, uh, which can do the job, which is fit for purpose. At the moment, uh, we have robust consolidated providers, uh, but we need the uh, injection of new talent mm -hmm. And um, back to the previous discussed question, I see with the green economy, which is becoming now very, very popular, that this is almost a job guarantee. If we see in the numbers of unemployment that um, students who finish their university studies, that they are struggling to find a job, I think those who are in mining technology, in processing technology, uh, hydrometallurgy and so on, I see, I see almost a job guarantee for them because uh, I just read yesterday is that the demand in copper will double in the next uh, 10 years. So it's not that we can do everything with circular economy. We need millions of miles of copper wire to connect our offshore uh, wind farms uh, with the grid and uh, all uh, the green economy, not just lithium. There are about 10 metals which are important. And also it need expertise in the processing, in the uh, production of final compounds and in the implementation. And this can also help the United Kingdom uh, in a second big, how to say, push uh, of, of a green revolution to turn things around and to defend or even to gain a leadership uh, in the world, uh, in the sector. And uh, I think it 
it will put us uh, on the front of this development. Thanks a very thank you both. That's a very powerful message. I think uh, obviously in a year when we're going to be hosting the COP twenty six, let's hope government are listening to that. Um, if I could just sort of take you forward um, in ten years' time, IOM three is going to host a conference on on lithium. Obviously, it's very very difficult to predict what's going to happen in the future, and sometimes it can be very. Uh, <laughs> some people don't want to do it just to get caught out, but. If you could imagine what's going to happen in 10 years' time and, and IM3 was having a conference on this subject, uh, what, what would you expect to see, Jeremy? <laughs> That's a great question, Ian. Um, I think we'll see this as being one of the most important... We'll see critical raw materials and battery metals as being one of the most important focus sectors for the UK economy, in fact, because, you know, we will be... 10 years' time, we'll have gone past a ban on electric vehicle, uh, sorry, on the sale of conventional uh, ICE engines, internal combustion engines, will be into only selling electric vehicles. Therefore, the UK will, by definition, be building, hopefully, 1.5 million electric vehicles. We'll be consuming 55 to 60,000 tonnes of lithium. It will be a conference dominated around... Uh, those raw materials. And as Rima said, you know, we aspire to be, and already are, one of the, the standard bearers for offshore wind. Huge amounts of copper is going to go into that. And, and I think really the metals of, of the future will take front and center stage of the IM3 conference in 10 years' time. And hopefully, we'll be able to say that the UK is leading uh, Europe in its, in its studies of battery raw material extraction will be a, a, a real powerhouse in that um, because, it, you know, the UK is, a, particularly Cornwall, is a county that's very proud of its mining heritage and therefore, you know, will be want to be part of the mining heritage going forwards. And, and really those deposits in Cornwall are big enough to supply an awful lot of, of the metals that we need, including copper and tin. And tin's obviously a very important metal for the batteries now because it connects everything up in an electric vehicle. Um, so really, I, I do think there'll be a, a big focus in that conference on battery metals. Yeah, exciting 10 years to come. Thank you, Jeremy. Reimer, um, what's your take on 10 years' time? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I definitely see that tin will join, finally, as a list of critical metals. It's not yet in the EU list, yeah, but it's very close to it. And with the demand of solder uh, for the electric or battery revolution, uh, it is uh, for me a no-brainer that the tin price will increase. Uh, at the moment, it's around twenty-three thousand dollars per ton, and I think uh, that will be a bullish uh, market, and it will go up. Uh, and a lot of uh, tin production or tin demand will actually support the lithium sector development uh, because South Crofty Mine and many other the projects uh, where we find lithium in the credits have tin as a byproduct or vice versa. Lithium is a byproduct of the tin and uh, European metals at Sinovets in Czech Republic demonstrates this. So was always discussed, uh, okay, some companies focus on one commodity. European metals always look, look at both. And this is a sustainability concept, which is very good because this byproduct can contribute a significant portion of the development cost and of the return on investment. Yeah. So uh, that means tin is one thing where I see 
Renaissance. And the other thing is probably um, from the market demand in uh, LIBs, I think that there will be increasing pressure in the next few years from hydrogen fuel cells, um, which have some advantages for electric vehicles, especially. Uh, because uh, lithium battery driven electric vehicles are about 10 times more heavy, which has impact on tire operation, on uh, energy consumption, on the weight of the vehicle, and uh, also from the carbon footprint. So there are disputes uh, among the experts, but I think uh, the market will uh, calibrate at a 50-50 probably between electric vehicles on battery base versus electric vehicle or vehicles based on hydrogen fuel cells. And maybe something totally new, what we can't imagine yet, will join this uh, race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So probably I will not come anymore uh, traveling around with a, a combustion engine car uh, by uh, 2030 it will become too difficult with uh, all the restrictions. And so, and I think it will help the environment. Yeah. I was just thinking, Ian, maybe the guest speaker in 10 years' time is going to be Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> he may very well be, may very well be. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for your contributions to this podcast. Um, and um, obviously, let's hope in 10 years' time, we'll, we'll, we'll see if these predictions are true. But anyway, I'd like to thank my guests today, Jeremy Rattle and Ryan Seltman. Thank you, gentlemen. And um, we look forward to seeing our listeners on the, the next podcast. Thank you. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.